It is an absolute honor to get to open up God's Word with you this morning. And so, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 3. That's where we're going to begin. And while you turn there, I want to give you a little bit of my background and tell you about how playing drums in a band originally led me to the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. Music has been a big part of my life as... A kid, I took piano lessons, and when I wanted to quit the piano lessons, my, my mom told me that when you get older, you're going to wish that you knew how to play. And in my wisdom, I said, no way, piano's dumb and boring. There's no way that I'll want to play that later. And of course, my mom was right. Uh, I got older, and I wish that I knew how to play the piano, and so I spent years trying to reteach myself things that I had previously learned. Uh, But my real love in music has been the drums. I started playing the drums when I was 17 years old, and I have had many opportunities to, to play in different bands over that time. Many of these bands I'm very proud of. Some of them I have gone to great lengths to make sure that you will never hear them. But one of the the bands that I'm very proud of was a Christian band that I was in called Price Hill. And uh, thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. Uh, uh, We uh, the the whole purpose of our band was to point people to Jesus. We we got opportunities to travel all over the country, uh, leading worship for festivals and camps and conferences and those types of things. And we got to see God do incredible things in our own lives and in the lives of the people that we met along the road. But I discovered that there are some misconceptions out there about what it means to be in a touring band. Uh, Ideas like, if you're in a touring band, then you obviously must be rich. Uh, I cannot speak for every band, but... uh, I can confidently speak for all the guys in our band that that was easily the poorest season of life that any of us have ever gone through. Uh, I think the middle school kids that came up to buy our CDs and T-shirts at the time had more cash in their pockets than we did. Some of you may, if you think about a touring band, you may think of a uh, some sort of RV-style tour bus with flat-screen TVs and couches and beds and, and that kind of thing. That was not our experience at all. Uh, we, we crammed five adult grown men into a small SUV that pulled a trailer behind it. And so that's how we traveled around the country. But uh, don't feel too sorry for us. We were able to make some modifications to this SUV. We bought one of those TV VCR combos, if you all remember having those back in the day, and we wedged that in between the front seats there on the middle console so that the guys in back could watch movies or play on the PlayStation or something like that. Uh, So we were really at the height of luxury at that point. (laughs) One of the other misconceptions that I discovered was uh, the idea that if you're in a touring band, then you must also be famous. And so uh, we got asked to sign things or take photos with people. And this was always a awkward encounter for us. Um, We were very aware of how not famous we were. Um, 
but also the whole point of our band was to point people to Jesus. And so we really felt like we were kind of pointing people in the wrong direction. But fortunately for us, we had a very wise old band pastor, uh, Pastor Alan Franz, uh, who helped us come up with a solution to our problem. And each of us prayed through and thought about a, a verse or a passage of scripture that was meaningful to us. And uh, anytime we were asked to sign something, we would write that scripture reference there along with it in hopes that we would point people away from ourselves and, and back to Jesus through his word. And the, uh, at, at that time, I was reading through the book of Acts, and there was a verse in the, the story in Acts chapter 3 and 4 that really stood out to me, and it's Acts chapter 4, verse 20, that says, For we can't help but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. And out of context, that may make no sense to you, uh, but we're, we're going to get there in just a minute. But that verse became my prayer for my life. Um, and it was my prayer for the people that we came in contact with back then, and it's my prayer for us here in the room today and those watching online, that we would boldly speak about the things that Christ has done in our lives, that it would become a natural overflow of our time spent with Jesus to tell others about it. And so I I think as we look at this story in Acts chapter 3 and 4, we can see how Peter and John were able to be so bold, and maybe we can apply some of those things to our own lives as we try to share our own stories. So before we dive into God's word, would you pray with me? God, you know each person that's in this room, and you know the circumstances of each life represented here. God, you, you know exactly what each person needs to hear today. So I pray that by your spirit, you would speak to each of us directly through your word. God, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase so that the name of Jesus would be highly exalted. And I pray this in Jesus' name. So if you are new to the Bible, the book of Acts follows the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it picks up the story where the Gospels leave off. Jesus has been crucified. He is risen, and he begins to appear before his disciples and to others. And in the first few chapters of Acts, we see Jesus ascended into heaven, and he leaves his final instructions to his disciples. And then later at Pentecost, the Christ follower is now filled with the Holy Spirit, and we begin to see the beginnings of the church. And by the church, I don't mean that they started to build the first church buildings. I mean the church as the gathered people of God coming together to encourage and pray for one another as we go out to share the message of Jesus. And that mission is still the same for us today as it was back in Acts. The the things that we do here on Sunday mornings, are are intended for the Christ follower. They are things that we need to be doing, but this is not the end goal. If it stays here, then we aren't accomplishing the things that we need to do. The things that happen here on Sunday morning are to equip us all to go out and share the message of Jesus with the world around us. And so we we pick up the story in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, One day Peter and John 
were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. The first thing that you can write down this morning is this. God is at work in our interruptions. God is at work in our interruptions. This miracle was not part of Peter and John's plan for the day. They didn't know this was coming. They were simply going about their daily routine. It was time for prayer at the temple, and so they were on their way to pray. They were being obedient in the small things, and then as the Holy Spirit nudged them towards something else, they were able to be obedient in that as well. And we see this pattern all over Scripture, that Jesus is on the road somewhere when he's met by someone else and they have this life-changing encounter with Jesus. Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but I love a good to-do list. I, I like to write things down. I have a ton of to-do lists, things that I need to accomplish today, for the week, projects that I'm working on. I like to have it all written down so that I can see what I'm, I'm doing and I can, as I cross things off, I can see the progress that I've made. I'll even, I'll even go in and write things on my to-do list that I've already accomplished just so I can have the satisfaction of crossing that thing off. Is anyone else? Uh. <laughs> but because of this, when I get interrupted, it causes me a little bit of panic, right? It causes me to veer off course or to, to slow things down so that I can't accomplish all the things that I set out to accomplish that day. But what if it's because I'm focused on the wrong to-do list? You see, we tend to see our interruptions as things distracting us from the goal when God is trying to show us that this interruption is actually the goal. This is the thing that I've been trying to guide you to. The to-do list that we have of temporary earthly things are not the main point. The, the main point and the things that God leads us to are the things of eternal impact. Now, I'm not saying that every interruption that you face is a divine appointment from God. But it is a good opportunity to see what God may be doing. It's a good opportunity to check in with the Holy Spirit inside of you to see if God may be setting up some opportunity to use you. And I need to, to say this mainly uh, for myself, but y'all can hear it too. 
Peter and John were already doing something for God. They were already on their way to pray. They were doing the right thing when they were interrupted. And I think I can get caught too many times saying no to God because I'm already doing something for him. Something that's on my own to-do list, but I, I say that it's for God. I'm already on my way to prayer. I'm already serving over here. I'm on my way to church, so I can't stop to help the person on the side of the road with the flat tire. But how many times am I doing work for God instead of doing work with God? God is at work in our interruptions. So now we see that Peter and John have stopped their routine to notice this man, this outsider, to stop and talk to him and to heal him. And I'm so thankful that we serve a God who sees the outsider and welcomes him in. And at at this point, people are starting to see what's going on and the crowd starts to form. And Peter doesn't want to waste this opportunity, so he decides it's time for a sermon. So he begins to preach to the people and he tells them that they killed Jesus, but that Jesus raised from the dead. And it's by his power that this man here has physical healing. And it's in his name that there is spiritual healing and the forgiveness of sins for all of you. And this is really good stuff from Peter, and we haven't even gotten to the bold part yet. We pick up in Acts chapter 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. And so the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So Peter is getting really good at this. Now, this is, the second time in just this story that he's shared the gospel and the third time in just a few chapters of Acts. But this time he's sharing the gospel directly to the men responsible for killing Jesus, the most powerful men in Jerusalem, and he's not sugarcoating it at all. Verse 13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note 
that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. The next thing you can write down is this. You are best defined by who you have been with. You are best defined by who you have been with. In verse 13, it describes Peter and John as unschooled, ordinary men. This doesn't mean that they were dumb. It's showing that Peter and John didn't have the same training or authority as the men that they were speaking to, and therefore they had no reason to be so bold in this situation. Now, God can certainly use anyone that he wants to, but Scripture shows us a pattern of God using the weak instead of the strong, the poor instead of the rich, the humble, the unschooled, and the ordinary. That was one description of Peter and John. The, the most important description of them in this verse actually has nothing to do with them at all and everything to do with who they had been with. It says that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And if you want to be someone who can be used by God, be someone who has been with Jesus. Be someone who can be recognized by those around you as someone who has been with Jesus. In verse 15, we pick it up and it says, So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now this, this is what it looks like to be bold. In this, min- this minute here, Peter doesn't care what happens to him here on earth. He knows that his priority is to tell people about what Jesus has done. But how is it that Peter is able to be so bold in this moment? What, what had changed in Peter? If you know the story, then you know that just months before this, as Jesus is being crucified, Peter denies even knowing Jesus. So what, what changed? How, does, how is he able to go from denying Jesus before a servant girl to proclaiming the power in the name of Jesus in front of the most powerful men in Jerusalem? Well, I see three reasons why Peter was able to be so bold now. The first is this. Peter had personally experienced the grace and redeeming love of Jesus. If you remember in the book of John, we see that Jesus starts to appear to his disciples after he's resurrected. And there is this incredible redemptive moment that Jesus has with Peter. You've probably heard the story where Jesus asked, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus tells him, then feed my sheep. Peter had betrayed Jesus. 
And so Jesus had every right to cast him aside, to administer justice, to dole out punishment. But he didn't do any of those things. Instead, he reminded Peter of the depths of their relationship and affirmed his value as a leader in his church. When he tells him, Peter, feed my sheep, he's saying, you are not disqualified. You are needed. You are loved. And this is one of those moments that I don't think Peter ever forgot. You know, as as parents, we look for those teachable moments that we want our kids to really remember something. We hope that it's a lesson that sticks with them forever. And I I think this is one of those moments for Peter that he he never forgot. And that's why he was able to be so bold when he was standing before the Sanhedrin. The second reason I think Peter was able to be so bold is because he expected opposition. Jesus told his disciples that opposition was coming. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 through 18, Jesus tells his disciples, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When you know what to expect, you can be better prepared. Peter knew to expect opposition, and so he was ready to stand firm. And in the same way, we know opposition is coming to us. It may look different for each person in every scenario, but we know opposition is coming. In John 16:13, Jesus tells us, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. You see, we we get ourselves in trouble when we don't listen to the expectations that the Bible lays out for us. When we have wrong expectations of what's coming in this world, when we, we get discouraged, when we expect the Christian life to be comfortable and easy, but then find out that it actually demands sacrifice. Or we expect the world to act like Christians, and then we get angry or judgmental when the world just ends up acting like the world. The Bible tells us what we can expect to encounter, and it helps us to be bold in our speech and bold in our love when we engage with the lost world. And there's one more difference that I see in Peter here, and I think it's the most important. Peter was now filled with the Holy Spirit, but he trusted the Holy Spirit to work. From the beginning of this story, Peter makes it clear it's not by his own power that any of this can happen. It's by God's power that this man is healed. It's by God's power that when Peter speaks, thousands turn and trust Jesus for the first time. And it's by God's power that Peter is able to be bold when speaking to these men now. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he continues. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So Peter's job before the Sanhedrin is the same as our job now. It's to be obedient 
to the things that God calls us to, big or small. And the good news for us as Christ followers is that the Holy Spirit is there to fill in all the places that we are lacking. So using Peter as an example, how can we be bold in our faith today? Truly experience the grace and redeeming love of Jesus. Expect opposition to come, but trust the Holy Spirit to work. This is a a great example from Scripture of what it looks like to boldly share about what Jesus has done. But the reality for many Christ followers today is that we don't speak. We don't look for those opportunities. And I'm sure the reasons are many. I was able to think of a few. The first one, I think, is fear. The fear of rejection, fear of how others are going to respond. The fear of being misunderstood. Or fear of maybe not having all the answers that you think that you should. Our country, as great as it is, is decreasingly Christian, decreasingly churched. And it's not that the people we come in contact with have never heard of Jesus. They just don't think that they need him. They have chosen to reject him or just to be apathetic toward him at best. And this can be a scary scenario in which to talk about Jesus or to share about what he has done. But this is where we have to trust the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not our job to argue someone into heaven. It's not our job to change someone's heart. That's only the work of the Holy Spirit. Our job is simply to be obedient when God calls us to go and start that conversation. The second thing that I thought about is that maybe we have no one to tell. Maybe you have just isolated yourself. You've drawn away from others. Or maybe on the other side of that, you're living in a Christian bubble and everyone you know loves Jesus. But either way, you're not able to accomplish fully the purpose that God has put us here for. Not everyone is called to reach thousands, but each of us is called to reach the next one. The third reason I thought of for not speaking out is the saddest to me, but it might quite possibly could be the most common. That even if we had someone to tell, even if we weren't afraid to speak out, we wouldn't be able to because there's nothing for us to tell. Our communion with Jesus isn't happening. We're too busy for time in the Word. We're able to accomplish everything that we want to accomplish on our own power, and so there's no dependency on God. Therefore, our lives are indistinguishable from those who don't follow Christ. We aren't telling people about the things that we've seen Jesus do because we can't remember the last time we saw Jesus do anything. Another way to think about it is this. How much of your story can be told without the mention of Christ? I'll close with this. 
We all have those things in our lives that we like to talk about. Things that we light up when the topic comes up. Maybe for some of you it's a hobby. Maybe you love your job. Maybe it's a new relationship. But for my son, Max, that thing is video games. If you have a young son, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you ask Max about video games, you won't have to say another word in that conversation for 30 minutes. He can tell you about characters and attributes and strategies and things that he's done and things that he's watched other people do. He can't help it. When the topic of video games comes up, he has a lot to say. And so then he has these personal experiences with these games. He, he loves to spend time with them and understand everything he can. And once he plays them, he now wants to go out and share these experiences with other people. And I don't think it's hard to see where I'm going with this. When we love God, we want to spend time with him. We want to learn all that we can about him so that we can know him more. And then we begin to have these personal experiences as Jesus begins to change our lives. And we can't wait to go share with the world around us. The key is to be with Jesus. Peter and John stood out because they had been with Jesus. And I pray that that could be said of us as well. So now we're going to take a few minutes to respond. As the worship team leads us, this is your time to engage with the Father. Maybe for you it's sitting quietly in prayer, listening to what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Maybe it's singing out loud in praise. Maybe you need to go grab someone else to pray with you to help to hold you accountable. Whatever it may look like for you, now is the time to respond. So let's pray. God, we desperately want to know you more. God, I pray that you would draw us close to you, that we would become familiar with the sound of your voice. God, I pray that you would give us a hunger for your word and a boldness to follow wherever you lead. God, we need you now. We need you in this moment. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we respond this morning?